Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com, sponsored by BetVictor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Ben from Who Scored and the man that absolutely nobody wanted to see on a podcast today. <laughs> it's Julian Lawrence. Julian, how are you? I bet you're absolutely chuffed, absolutely delighted, and I hate you right now. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm sorry that you see my beaming face. Nah, I'm like, listen, I'm not here to rub it in. Although I thought you were going to say, like, you know, Julian Lawrence, like, World Cup semi-finalist or something like that, but, like, you didn't. It's okay. It's okay. I can't bring myself to congratulate you. I'm st- <laughs> I-, I felt like yesterday I felt a little bit better about it, and then doing a podcast with a Frenchman this morning, it's, it's all coming back to me, and I'm not feeling great again. <laughs> it's not my idea, to be fair. It's not my idea. But... No. And, and Ben, I mean, you're... Your World Cup beard's gone. You obviously, you, you were obviously growing a beard until England, until England got knocked out. England got knocked out, and you, you've shaved your face. Yeah, I, it, it was getting too much. It was too itchy, but it was quite nice. It was a very nice backhanded compliment by my boy when I walked in. He went, "You look nicer now." Oh, okay, that's good. Cheers. Thanks, well. That's good. That's, that's not... Did you shave? You didn't shave that before the England game, did you? No, shaved it yesterday. Oh, I was going to say that would have been. I could have blamed you. I could have pinned the defeat on you if you if you shaved that before before the uh, before the quarterfinal. Let's get into it then. England lost to France two one. Congratulations to France. I'm absolutely delighted for you, Julian. I thought the better team lost, Julian. Would would you go along with that? Yeah, I think you're right, especially the second half. I still felt in the first half, although England had a nervy start and we scored that goal, and after that England got better, but it was still a bit too. Predictable, I thought, up to maybe the 35th minute when Foden starting to come inside a little bit more to try to do a bit what Griezmann did for us, play between the lines. And otherwise, it was a bit, it was not easy, but it was a bit predictable. You had Kunde on Foden, you had Theo on Saka, you had Rabio on Henderson and Chouameni on, on Bellingham. And then for Rice, it was either Griezmann or Giroud. And I, and I thought France controlled that pretty well, even if you know, Upamecano made a couple of mistakes that could have been costly for France. I don't think it's a pen because it's just outside of the box, but the big chance that Lloris saves against Kane could have changed also the dynamic of that first half. But the second half, uh, England were the, be- the best team I've seen in this tournament. And it's just a shame that they could not capitalise on that moment where they were on the front foot better than us and we were struggling. It's a weird one as, a, as an England fan, isn't it? Because we've obviously gone out in quarterfinals plenty of times in my lifetime and I'm sure plenty of, of, lot of times in your lifetime as well. This one felt different, though, because it wasn't like we were a plucky underdog or, you know, we were just crap. England looked a very, very accomplished team in in, in that game. And, and, to, and to go out, actually, it, it does hurt. And you and you feel sorry for Southgate and the players because I think I think they have harnessed something special, especially since Southgate's been there. People forget that England were getting knocked out by Iceland in tournaments before Southgate came in. Yeah, I think the um, key thing is that there's, you know, this young core group of players, they've kind of grown up together, they come through the ranks together, which has helped with that... Um, sort of harmony within the squad. Southgate has tapped into that massively and it's clearly had the desired effect. It's just how they kind of re- recoup now after that defeat to France. Obviously, they're still very young, so they, you know, they're going to keep growing together uh, ahead of Euro 2024. But it's, it is a real sort of hammer blow, especially as England dominated. Um, if Kane puts that penalty away, that second one, then you think in- the momentum has shift. There's a psychological shift again to England. Could they go on then to win it? But... It's just, it's a tough one to take, but England will grow from it. What is the difference fundamentally between England and France? France haven't played brilliant, Julian, but but they've got through. They've had they've had two moments, really, in, in, in the game, and they've ended up winning, winning the game 2-1. England had most of the game, but didn't really make the pressure count, obviously missed, missed that crucial penalty near, near the end of the game. 
what is the difference, do you think, between a country like France, who not not serial winners, but you know, have have won a lot of stuff in my lifetime, and England, who who've won absolutely nothing since I've been born? Yeah, I mean, we can always go back on you know the ref and that the penalty, of course. That you know, there there are moments in the game that that are key moments, really. But for me, overall, and being in the stadium for the game and and struggling in the second half, I promise you, I could hardly watch at times because England were were really really good. It went down to maybe that kind of mental strength or the, 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 the ruthlessness that those teams have when they get to games like that, such a big game. It was for me the best game of the tournament so far. No, not the drama of Argentina and Netherlands, for example, of course, but in terms of level and the technical ability, all of that, it was, it was an amazing game. But the French never panicked, never panicked, and they knew that at some point they would have a chance. And if they took that one and be that ruthless, then they could go and, and win it. And I just felt at times that emotions got a bit too much for England. Like if you look at Jude Bellingham, who is an amazing talent, but every time the ref was giving a foul for, for the French, he was going mad and he was, he would like, he was he kept putting his short, like he, he was like this and putting it. And, and I think that England could not cut the emotions out of the game. And, and I think the French are really good at that. You under pressure, you don't panic. You on top, you wait. And then when one chance comes, you take it. And I, and I just think that right now, this is a learning progress for, process Sorry for England. It's still a young team. Remember Germany before 2014? That great generation that just won the Euros under 21 before. So Ozil and Neuer and Boateng and all those guys, Hummels, kept losing semi-finals, quarter-finals, final at the Euros at the World Cup. And then at some point, they learned from all of that. And 2014 was was where everything clicked and they won it. And after that, they didn't win anything again. But, but, but still, and I really believe that this, this, this progress is on the, the right way for England. It's just to learn how to kill those games because I saw Giroud after the game and he said, if you don't kill us off, whoever you are, but especially England today, when you were on top, then we will kill you off after. And that's exactly what happened. You were quite critical, Julian, of, of Southgate pre-tournament. Obviously, England have been knocked out in the quarterfinals. There's, there's no getting away from that. But you, that game, I mean, I guess some people would pin the final in the Euros on Southgate saying he was too negative. Has your opinion changed of him based on the, the way England went out against France? Because you've, you've said yourself there, it was, that was an elite-level football match. Yeah. And England haven't, England haven't taken part in many elite-level football matches over the years where you just think that, that quality is as good as it gets. And I, I think that's a positive. Yeah, no, you're right. And I can see the progression in this team. However, there are still some things that I don't understand. I don't understand why why is Raheem Sterling playing in that game. He just spent five days in London. He had to deal with a burglary in his house, whether he's close family or not, whoever was in the house, he felt the need to go back home. So fly seven hours from here to London, three hour time difference, stay for five days, come back with another seven hour flight, another three hour time difference in the other around, hardly trains. And then he comes on for the last 20 minutes, 10 minutes of normal time, 10 minutes of added time in a game of, of this level and he hardly touched the ball, which is not surprising. It's not a criticism. It's not me being critical of, Ra of Raheem. It's just why him when you've got a bench like that where Grealish could have come on, where Rashford could have come on and you took Saka off, by the way. I don't know if he was injured or if he was struggling, but he was England's best player in that oh, game. Was, especially was in that so there's still things that I don't really understand and why, and I tweeted, I think, in the second half, like literally at the hour mark when you were so good like this is the time now for Southgate to capitalise on this and yet he waited to be 2-1 down 79th minute to take Henderson off and bring someone out and I th even if Ken has that chance on the penalty I really felt that was too late 
Yeah, I, I get that. I, I think it was the wrong sub. I completely agree with you. And I think if, unless Saka was absolutely blowing, you don't take him off because he was he was the best player on the pitch in that second half and he was causing France all kind of problems. Yeah. The only only slight defence I have of, 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 of him leaving the subs late then is that he felt like because it was such a, a high-level game, France obviously weren't playing well, but they didn't make any subs because they didn't want to disrupt the rhythm of the game. I think they were sitting in and, and, and trying to defend a little bit, trying to trying to ride out the pressure that they were having. So they weren't making subs because because the game was so heavily in the balance. I feel like neither team really wanted to make a sub. So I, I do feel that the sub criticism is, is a little bit unfair. And then when he did bring Mason Mount on, he obviously won a penalty immediately. So, you know, there there, there is those kind of factors that you have to look at. 100%. Um I still think taking Saka off, as you've mentioned, was a bit of a silly, silly thing for Southgate to do. Yeah. He was, you know, tearing Hernandez, you know, apart down that right side. Um, but then, of course, he did have the players in reserve to be able to, um, like, change the game. I mean, Rashford came on, almost scored that free kick. Mount came on, he won that penalty. So, you think if Saka had stayed on, maybe England would have gone on to score that second without the need for winning a penalty. But as you say. France didn't make a sub. They didn't really need to. They had, you know, not control of the game, but they were managing it really well. Um, and if Deschamps had made a change, would that have disrupted everything? Would France have kind of lost that game management to see out the win? It, I mean, you know, Southgate gets paid to make these decisions. He didn't get it wrong. I don't think he got it right, but he also didn't get it wrong because... As you say, Saka could have been exhausted. He could have been. Yeah, yeah no, that's know, a fair point. He, he could have been, you know, blowing for all we know. We we we're not aware of this. We're not privy to this sort of information. But you know, as you say, Mount came on, won the penalty. Rashford came on, almost scored that free kick. So it's it's one of those things. It's fine margins. It's tournament football. It's ruthless, but it's also one of those things that happens. I think Sterling was was the wrong sub person. Now I, I agree with what Julia said. I think in that type of game, even if he hadn't have been through all the stuff that he'd been through in the week leading up to the game. I still think he wasn't the right type of player to bring into that game. I think I think Jack Grealish potentially would have been a better 100%. option. That's that's not me being biased because I'm a massive Jack Grealish no, no, fan. No, no, I, I just think he was better suited to the game and the flow of that game. And I think he'd of course he'd have pinned France back even further. They'd have been worried about him running at them with the ball. He'd he'd have won set pieces. I was thinking before before that game, England haven't England haven't had a penalty yet. England haven't scored from a free kick or, or a corner in, in, in this tournament, so you know those things they've, they've got to be they've got to be coming because England haven't done that yet. And then lo and behold, they got a penalty, and then I was just waiting for that that set piece goal as well. I know Rashford scored a free kick. I'm talking about scoring off a, off, off a corner from a defender or something like that. I was waiting for that kind of thing to happen, and I think Grealish would have, would have maybe tipped the balance in, in England's favour a bit more than Sterling did, but it's happened now. You know, a, a good team had to go out on the night, Julian, didn't they? And I'm, I'm sure, obviously, as a Frenchman, you are absolutely delighted. But there'd been no shame for either team going out in that game, really. I mean, so, some teams have been knocked out by nations you'd expect them to be. A good team had to go on Saturday. Yeah, No, you're right. And and again, I think England and Southgate, we learn a lot from, from what happened. It's, it, it's hurting. And I was still doing radio after the game. Uh, from the stadium and some of the England boys came out to see the families who'd stayed in, of course. And Jude Bellingham had this long hug with his mum and dad and, and and another person I couldn't see who that was from, from up where I was. And, and he must hurt. I have to say, it would have hurt us the same way, especially for a young team, especially with with all the momentum and the confidence that that team had going into this game because, and rightly so, I said before it, that you should be confident because right now, you are, this is on the same level, if not 
I put France slightly favorite because Kylian was in the team. That's yeah. all. Otherwise, it was very 50-50, impossible game to call. And England did even better than I thought. And I really thought you were going to win it. I, I said, for me, England, this would be the day where you, you get this huge win in the knockout stage of the World Cup. And you were that close. So it will come. It will come. It's just, it's just that learning from those, those games, those mistakes. Do you think Southgate will stay, Ben? He's hinted that he'll leave. I think it'll be a shame if he does. He obviously got came to criticism at the uh, Nations League. We're in terrible, but I mean, no team really covered themselves in glory in that competition because it came after such a grueling season, and you had four games in the space of ten days of essentially glorified friendlies. Mm. He's proven that he can, you know, manage tournament football accordingly, which is exactly what you want from an England manager. Um, and it'll be a case of who comes in after him. Um, you know, he's got the respect of the players that are in there. He's worked with them before for the under-21s, or for a core of them for the under-21s. I would like to see him stay. I think England will learn from this and could do really well at Euro 2024. But again, it's, you know, he, he might see it as I've taken this team as far as they can go. I think it's time for a new manager to take the next step. It's just a case of who the manager will be. If they go English, you've got Potter or Howe, are they going to leave Chelsea or Newcastle? Probably not. You look, you know, to overseas managers, Pochettino and Tuchel are out of work. Would they, you know, be willing to sacrifice the day-to-day of club manage, of club football to international football? I doubt that very much as well. It wouldn't surprise me if he left, but it would be a shame to see him go. Yeah, I hate that argument of um, at the moment, Julian, that people, people say, oh, well, if... If any big job came up in the Premier League, Southgate wouldn't get anywhere anywhere near it. Well, no, he wouldn't. But international management and, and, and club management are completely different. And I think the key thing here is you have to listen to the players. The players yeah. are, are obviously key. And the way they talk about Southgate and what he's done for them and what he's done for the country, I think if Southgate goes... I don't think that I think that could set England back. I don't. I don't think there's a, a replacement out there. Tuchel and Pochettino have, have never managed into international football. We, we don't know whether it we, we would suit them. I just. I just think sometimes it's better the devil you know. And England are progressing. They might have not got as far in this tournament as they did in the last World Cup or the Euros. But when you the eye test, when you watch them, I I think personally they're progressing. I said on the radio after the game on English radio, I listened, this can't be seen as a setback. It's not because you went quarterfinal this time and semi-final last time that you feel, oh, we, we haven't done as well. It's not it's not true. It's not a setback. You lost against a team in a very tight game that could have gone either way, really, against the world champions. And and you showed so much in the game that it has to be a lot more positive than negatives in that defeat. I know it's hard to to say that you can find positives in a defeat, but still, I I would love to see what a two hole can do with a squad like that. I just don't think, as an experiment, you you do it. But I have to say, as someone who maybe tactically is a bit more astute, suddenly at club level, again, you're right. It's a very different job. I would, I would love to see that. I, I'm not saying it should happen, but I, I, I would be keen to see. Okay, what a two-hole can do with that. Listen, it's an incredible squad. I really believe it's a wonderful squad, one of the best squad that England have had in a very, very, very long time. And it's not underperforming to do semi-final, final, quarter-final. Of course, it's not. But again, to go back to Germany 2014, this is also the time to now, you know, go go the extra step and then go and win 2024, 2024 Euros. And Germany obviously changed at some point the, the, the head coach, but then kept Jogi Love. And I think I think England should do the same with Southgate. Now, even though I don't care about the World Cup anymore, we are going to talk about it. 
Julian, who do you think? <laughs> who, do you, who do you think, with your non-biased hat on, who, who do you think is now the favourite? Well, Messi, Messi, and Messi's team has to be always up there because he does magical things, as we've seen through the whole this whole tournament. But I feel that overall, even with all the players missing, this French team has something going, 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 going on now. And with Mbappe, even if he didn't have his best game against England, he still influenced the first goal. And I don't think anyone can defend on him like England did anyway. Not not Morocco, even his best mate Hakimi, and not either Croatia or Argentina. So I think the French have to be maybe just slightly above Messi and Argentina, who are already slightly above Croatia. That semi-final is going to be fascinating. And then even if Morocco have produced two miracles, massive miracles, maybe even three or four miracles so far, you have to put them, no offence, slightly below the other three. France have obviously, they've got the previous, that they know how to, how, to win, how to win tournaments, having won one not, not that long ago. And with all the players missing, they're still a, a, a stupendous outfit, France. They've got a, a ridiculous depth that I don't think any other country has. If any other country had six players missing, I don't, I don't think they'd be getting as far as, as, as France had. So mm-hmm. I think that tells you everything you need to know about France's depth. Ben, there's no Brazil now, obviously, so the South American the best chance of a South American team winning is Argentina, who were tipped by many to, to win the tournament. Messi is having some some magical moments in, in this tournament. Argentina have kind of got a bit more astute as the tournament's gone on. I mean, I know obviously when you've lost to, to Saudi Arabia, the, the only way is up, having lost that, that first game. But they're looking more astute now. But you can't write off Croatia and Morocco just by because of what they've done in this World Cup so far. And Croatia in particular, what they've done in previous tournaments. To have... One of four successive penalty shootout on a World Cup is a remarkable achievement. Um, they just—they're just pros at that. They, you know, will they probably adopt that same game against Argentina? Probably, but then, you know, you've got Messi to contend with. That's the issue. You know, I've been—I was harping on about Brazil. I thought Brazil were going to win it, and then they go and get knocked out by Croatia. So now they've just gone and completely mugged me off. I, you know, agree with Julian. I think that France probably have the best all round, and you as well, Dan. That you know. You lose six players, tournament's over. You lose yeah. six, France have lost six players and they're semi-finalists. And, you know, with all due respect to Morocco, we'll probably go to the final. So, yeah, I, I feel like France, France are the favourites for me now. I feel like France might be a step too far for Morocco, Julian. Yeah, although I thought Portugal would be as well, to be honest. I didn't think they could reproduce what they did against Spain. And and actually, I, I felt they did, they did better against Portugal, despite not having Masrawi, not having Aguerd. Having players like Buffalo clearly can't last the whole 90 minutes, 120 minutes, and and yet they find that energy. They find the they play with so much heart. And to be fair, defensively, which came from the previous manager Vaidalilodic, we don't have to go into detail about you know Moroccan football history, but but right now Regragi, the new coach who's only been here since the, since the summer, like he's benefiting from that structure defensively that they have, and they played so well, and they're so well drilled, and they understand exactly how to be narrow and how to cut the passing, the passing lanes, all of that. Fantastic. I just, I yeah, I would have to agree with you, and I'm not sure you can go again now against the French, who, by the way, have exactly in a way where you need to create danger is those one v one players, Kylian and Dembélé on the other side, which we saw when Nico Williams, for example, came on for Spain in that last 16 that straight away he could take on Masrawi. And that made a big difference because if it's in front of you and it's easy, when you go 1v1 against Hakimi and Masrawi, they might be a bit more in trouble. And then you've got Giroud in the box. 
So I'm, I'm hoping that the key is there for France to, to really use those wingers 1v1, and that's how you will create differences. And we've got a semi-finalist combined 11, haven't we, from who scored? Let's see who's, who's made the cut and made it into that 11. Yeah, so obviously we not include players that have made sort of one or two appearances. So you're looking at those who have featured sort of in four, at least four appearances. Uh, it's a four-four-two. There's a bit of imbalance in there, but we'll get to that. Uh, in goals, Leverkovic, back four of Hakimi, Lovren, Sice, and Hernandez. Uh, all France midfielder Dembele, Griezmann, Rabiot, Mbappe, and then Messi and Giroud up front. And it's an attacking side. Julian there for, for who scored a bit, yeah. bit like a bit like in central midfield. I feel, I feel like there could be some overrunning that went on in central midfield <laughs> there. But you know, the, I mean the Croatia goalkeeper, the Morocco defenders, it, it, it tells you everything you need to know about how they've done in this tournament so far. Yeah, you're right. I probably would have picked Vardiol. I mean, again, it's not it's it's not with the um, the data. It's just it's just us watching. But Vardiol ahead of Lovren, even if Lovren has been has been fantastic as well. I like Sosa left back simply because of. The foul that Theo made on Mount that was completely stupid and and needless and almost cost England to France and England to come back into the game. Um, and then I think Griezmann in midfield is just a, such a joy to watch. I mean, I know on TV you can't maybe appreciate as much what he does than when we are in the stadium, but if you can just 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 keep your eyes on him just for five ten minutes because he's. He's just he's just the pure intelligence of the game and the, his awareness is incredible. So I would have him there. And Giroud is a weird one because yes, he's got the goal so far, which was not the case four years ago, by the way. But but at times, like against England, he, there was nothing. He hardly could touch the ball. He was just fighting for the ball in the air. And Stones and Maguire dealt well with him. But then that one chance first that Pickford saves, and then on that corner, the second phase of it, there's that header that is unstoppable and is. He's an incredible guy, incredible player at 36 years old to put up those kind of performances and goals in the World Cup. Right then, Ben, we've got the top 10 rated teams according to who scored from this World Cup so far. Yeah, in 10th is Portugal, then 9th is Germany, which is you know, the surprise in itself, but they, that winning against Costa Rica obviously boosted their rating. 8th is Argentina, 7th Morocco, 6th Spain, 5th Brazil, Netherlands fourth and top three of Croatia, France and England. That's what you want. You don't want to win the World Cup. You want to be top of the, the who scored <laughs> league table. That's what you want. Forget the trophies. This is what it's all about. What do you imagine make of that, Julian? England in at top? Yeah, but again, again, I think Ben explained it really well. It's also because of what happened in the group stages and you know you could have a big win at some point there and your, rate, your, your, rate, your rating goes up. Uh, yeah, I think the top... I was very impressed with England, you know, through the tournament, especially on the back of the six games without a win before that in the Nations League, uh, the, the Hungary, you know, all that kind of stuff. I thought to come here and show that character. And yet the, the Iran game to start with helped massively because of all the goals and because of such a, such a big win. But but yeah, I was very impressed and I'm not surprised they're, they're right up there. We've got Sam from Bet Victor with us. Sam, it's been a while. How have you been? Yeah, pretty good up until Saturday evening, Dan, when uh, Harry Kane's penalty flew over the bar. Up to that point, I've been uh, really enjoying the World Cup and uh, uh, punters out there certainly have as well. Been a huge amount of interest. Really interesting to see how the Winter World Cup has, has taken and from a betting perspective, people really been getting stuck in. Yeah, we've got rid of our French football pundit for, for, for your section, Sam. We don't want to make you have to go through what we've had to go through in this podcast so far. It is really, really disappointing. He's not listening, so it doesn't matter what you say. 
Who have you got as the favourite for the World Cup now at Bet Victor? Yeah, we're down to the final four, aren't we? And uh, we're just giving France the better chance at 11 to 10 to obviously make it back to back World Cup wins. Argentina next in at six to four. Will Leo Messi get his uh, film moment, I suppose you'd say, towards the end of his career now, isn't he? And, uh, a World Cup would really crown what is an absolutely glittering and stellar career. Uh, then we've got Morocco and Croatia, the same price at eight to one. Morocco, obviously, the, the sort of feel-good story of the World Cup for me. And I think I'll be cheering for them. Not only would it be a great result for our outright book, but uh, we have got one punter out there. He's had, a, had a, all of 10 quid on them at 500 to one. So fair play to him because he certainly knew the score with Morocco. They've been brilliant. And uh, maybe the football's not too exciting to watch, but I think their team ethic certainly has won them plenty of fans. And what about the golden boot market? Because punters always love that golden boot market. That's always an interesting one. And it, it is shaping up quite nicely. I, I imagine a few people back to Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, we're going to take a shoeing on this one uh, to use a dreadful pun. But Kylian Mbappe, four to nine, five goals so far. And he's looked deadly, hasn't he? Only Carl Walker's managed to stop him so far, more or less. And next in, we've got Leo Messi, 11 to four. And then Oliver Giroud, who's had a fantastic tournament, hasn't he, for the French and uh a brilliant career, uh, five to one for him. Uh, you can probably forget the rest if we're being honest. But yeah, between those three, uh, all of them, I think, have got their own right to, to claim on it. But Mbappe uh, certainly be the worst result for us so far. Gareth Southgate, unclear really where his future lies at the moment. Me personally would, lo- would like him to stay. I'm sure there's many other England fans that feel differently to me. If he was to leave, Sam, who is the favourite to be his replacement? Because I don't really think there's a, a likely candidate out there, if I'm honest. No, and uh, I'd be in your camp. He definitely deserves more time for me. But, you know, it's not up to me. It's up to what Gareth wants to do and those at the FA. Uh, Pochettino, 5-1, to one, clear favourite with ourselves, the former Spurs manager, uh, linking back up with Harry Kane, potentially. Next in, we've got Brendan Rodgers at 8-1. to one. I'm not mad keen on that myself, but uh, it certainly seems that a few people have had a few quid there. And then, then we're 10-1 to one or bigger, the rest, including... Thomas Tuchel, who I think a lot of people have given a, a shout to the former Chelsea man. But you go through the list of names. There's not too many out there you could see taking it. And I've asked the lads in the office to price up Southgate to lead us to the, uh, to the, to the Euros. And that price will be out later today. So do keep your eyes peeled for that. But who knows, potentially, if you want a left field shout, would we see the likes of Jose Mourinho one day taking the job 20 to 1? Um, for me, I'd much rather see him than the likes of Lampard and Gerrard, who are shorter. But it's certainly going to be one of those markets that we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, early interest, Pochettino the favourite. Taking the, an international job because club club management's so big now, it, it's not the pool that it used to be. And unfortunately, despite how well England have done over the last six, seven years, it doesn't have that that pool that it used to. So hopefully he stays. I want, I want him to stay. Hopefully that market is one that you don't really have to do anything with. Ben, we do have a who scored stats bet builder this week. Do you want to talk us through that? So with Bet Victor, it's currently at 15 to 1, but this will be boosted uh, before the Argentina-Croatia game. So it's obviously focused on that one. Uh, we've got Argentina to have five or more shots on target. Argentina currently averaging 5.8 shots on target per match at the World Cup. Uh, next is the match to finish 0-0 or one all. Four of Croatia's last six World Cup knockout ties have finished 0-0 or one all inside 90 minutes. And finally... Uh, over 4.5 cards, referee Daniel Osato is averaging 5.5 yellow cards per game at the World Cup. 
So yeah, at 15 to 1, but that will be boosted before this game kicks off, so one's keep an eye on. I just, it, it's not bad. We'll give it a good boost. We'll be interested to see what the traders allow us to, to go on that one. Just to mention on the Bet Builder front, guys, it's a brand new product from Bet Victor for the World Cup, and it will go into the Premier League as well now. Um, it's much better. We've got so many markets out there. Uh, do have a great, great go at trying to find a good one. The worst results we've had for Bet Builder so far, if anyone's interested, was England's 6 2 win over Iran. We got absolutely decimated. I think if Harry Kane had uh, managed to get on the goal sheet as well. It would have been a full house for punters. So people have been enjoying them. It's been tough so far with the nil-nils, but we do a few goals. And I like the look of that one, I must say, with the pairing of the 1-1 and the nil-nil, I think that's a good move. Yeah, that's a, that's a decent one that you've drawn up there, Ben. I think that's probably one that I'll back. I do like a good bet builder, so that certainly floats my boat. But I gamble responsibly. Make sure you do too. Thanks ever so much for joining us, Sam. Always a pleasure to talk to you. No worries. Enjoy the rest of the show, guys. Right then, let's look at the games in a little bit more detail then. And we're going to start with Argentina against Croatia. That Croatian midfield, Ben, has been some, some midfield uh, over the years, to be perfectly honest, for Croatia and a big part of why they've done so well. Argentina, though, th- that is a big test for that midfield, especially now with the, the tight time frame between games. We know, we know Kovacic in particular, fitness has been an issue for him over the last few years. Luka Modric as well, you know, you know he's an unbelievable footballer, one of my favourites ever, Julian. He's pro- probably one of the best footballers I- I've ever seen live, actually. You know, even when this was when he was at Spurs playing against Villa, I just thought he was absolutely incredible then. And still at 37 years of age, he's he's absolutely bossing world football playing for Real Madrid. But it is that tight turnaround that, that is a concern. But then also, the way Croatia play... Your energy can get conserved a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, I thought against Brazil in terms of controlling the, the pace of the game certainly and, and keeping the ball so well, that's where they're really good at. We can always argue that they don't have a super striker maybe to to make sure that if they have one chance, they will score. But then Petkovic did that in, in the quarter in the last 16, in the quarterfinal, sorry. They had one shot on target, one goal. I don't think you can beat Argentina with just that again. I think you will have to create more, which means maybe opening up a little bit more and defensively being a little bit more exposed. I don't know, but certainly in midfield. I love Juranovic yesterday came in his, in a press conference and said it's safer to give the ball to Brozovic, Modric and Kovacic than putting your money in the bank. And I just thought that the image was perfect. Like there, you give them the ball, they could be under pressure, not under pressure, back to goal, in front of goal, whatever. You know they're not going to lose the ball. And I think when you have that, it's huge. It's huge because you suck up the pressure. You can beat the press, you, like we saw on the on their goal against Brazil. And I think whoever plays in midfield for Argentina, and I believe Scaloni will keep the back five because he worked well against the Dutch. Whether it's Enzo, the Paul, and Alexis, for example, then I think they will have a lot of work to do just to get the ball back. Simply, I'm not even saying about pressing high or just getting the ball back. Yeah, did Croatia go for penalties again, Ben? Obviously, they're the new Germany of international football, never lose a penalty shootout. They've got a goalkeeper that's on stupendous form. And actually, their centre-back partnerships look very accomplished throughout this tournament as well. I mean, it's a risk going playing for penalties against um, Argentina. They you know, did the same, similar against Brazil, almost got knocked out. And Argentina have Messi. I mean, Brazil obviously had Neymar, but Argentina have probably the stronger midfield three collective than Brazil did. Um, And Messi, as we've seen, can just turn a game in Argentina's favour in the blink of an eye. Um, Against Australia, he wasn't great for the opening 34 minutes, and suddenly, bang, 1-0 to Argentina because of Messi. You'd imagine they would probably adopt a similar game plan. It would be foolish of them to tinker with what's worked so far. Um, but again, it's a risk you're up against Messi and Co. So it it's you know it'll be a fascinating battle to see how they 
if they adapt their game accordingly and how they do so if they do so. Yeah, I didn't feel that Holland disrupted the game enough early early on, and obviously then Argentina ended up going 2-0 up. I didn't feel like Holland disrupted Argentina and disrupted the game enough, Julian. But Croatia, they will yeah. do that. I don't like Ruben Gallo at all. I, I just don't think that when you've got players like he has, and they're not, they're not incredible players, but they, sh- they should play better. They should keep the ball more, or certainly better as well. It was interesting just to see the the messy plan that they had, which was Frankie de Jong, very, you know, from the beginning, and as much as he could to just be in Messi's zone and just almost man marking him. And when Messi was going either right or left, and de Jong could not follow everywhere, then you had one of the three centre backs coming after him, even if that meant Nathan Ike playing really high up and pushing on Messi. And I don't know what Croatia do. Do you put Brozovic on Messi all the time? Do you, is it a collective effort? But then that can that can be disruptive because Messi moves and then he, he can, you forget about him and suddenly he's there. And like Ben said, he does something crazy. So it'd be very interesting to see what, what they do. But certainly I think that midfield three battle, because Ben was right, Brazil felt like overrun a little bit at 2v3 in midfield. They only had Paqueta really and... And Casemiro. Brazil's midfield midfield. selection was ridiculous. You've got Bruno Gamares sat on that sat on that bench, barely featuring the tournament. What are they thinking? I know. I think this one, the three v three, will be far more interesting and more competitive for Croatia too. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Again, I can't overstate enough how much madness that Brazil midfield was going going into that game. Absolutely, absolutely crazy to do that. Julian, if there was a penalty shootout, who would you rather have in goal for your team? Aston Villa's Emmy Martinez. Or Livakovic, who I cannot remember who he plays for to save my life. Dinamo Zagreb. Um, <laughs> thought it might be. They're very different because Livakovic is clearly not a trash talker, not like Emi Martinez, who clearly, you know, feeds off that. We saw that at the, the Copa America that they won against Colombia and, you know, everything that was going on with Yerimina and all of that. And then you saw it again against the Dutch in what was such a tense atmosphere. You know, I was at the game and even from the stands, you could you could just, just feel like everything, everyone on on, on edge. And and I just think that with that tension, if that happens again in the semi-final, I would go for Emi Martinez more than Livakovic. But again, I think it's it's what you prefer and what kind of style you prefer, really, because in the end, Livakovic has been incredible, really. And yeah. and and you have to to take your hat off him because at least Emi Martinez, we knew before that he'd done this before. Livakovic, uh, like wow, okay. Yeah, Livakovic during games as well as has made some absolutely game-changing saves as well. Martinez hasn't been quite as busy, but I did think Martinez, his second penalty save was, was absolutely incredible. I thought that was an unbelievable penalty save. And they've both got history with penalties now, so I think you're right. It is a coin toss. Let's look then at France against Morocco, then the big one for Julian. We've discussed Griezmann being France's main man and probably that their main danger, actually, despite having the best player on the planet at the moment in, in Kylian Mbappe. One worry for France, Julian, I would say, is the defence. I thought Upa Makano, a player yeah. I really, really like, by the way, he was very, very shaky against England. He was. He was nervous. I thought well, he's been really good so far in the tournament against Lewandowski, for example, against, uh, I mean, Denmark changed three times the strikers. So, but, but, but I thought he'd well, and I thought, okay, all that confidence that he sort of banked in would be great against Ken. And Ken turned him over twice, three times. They were coming at him on that right-hand side, like England's right-hand side. Theo, as we know, is, is not the strongest defensively, and I think Ziyech could cause him problem. And Niziri is not Kane, though. And Kunde did much better than we thought he would against England. I think he was the target. He was the, the one that England were really going to go at. And to be fair, he stood his ground well with Varane next to him. So 
we will have to see. We will have to see. But yeah, you're right. Upamecano and defensively, that's where the problem could be. And also, if you can't find Griezmann like you did against England, because those Moroccans, and we saw that against Spain with Gavi and Pedri, they're so good at, again, we said quickly earlier, being narrow, closing all those 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 passing lanes towards your, especially the ones in the half spaces, all those midfielders that can play between the line. Amala and Unahi are so good at that. And Unahi has been one of the revelations if you, if you haven't watched Ligue 1 before and Angers, which I doubt you guys have. But so, yeah, so it will be, it will be a battle. Morocco as well have got one of the best defensive midfielders on the planet, or so it seems at the moment, watching this World Cup. You kind of feel like Amrabat, Ben, might be able to, to pick up Griezmann and, and maybe limit the impact that he has on the game because he has been absolutely incredible. When he was linked with Spurs, everyone was like, what are they doing? What are Tottenham doing? You know, it could be Paratici who was just putting feelings out there for a number of players as he likes to negotiate. But you saw Amrabat, he barely played for Fiorentina, was struggling to really get into their first team. And then suddenly he's linked with a move to Spurs and a possible £30 million move. And everyone's thinking, what are they doing? You know, Spurs should be aiming higher, for example, end up getting Benton Cole and the rest is history. But Amrabat, you know, has just been an absolute revelation for Morocco. He's dominated those misfields. He's, you know, absolutely destroyed Portugal, destroyed Spain, destroyed Croatia, destroyed Belgium. And his stock has just skyrocketed now. And if he can keep Griezmann quiet, then Morocco have a much stronger chance. And, you know, you get the impression that that will be the task for him. And it's one that with his growing confidence and clearly he's just been instrumental for how Morocco performed, it's, he'll be able to keep Griezmann quiet if he is on song. Julian, I've, how many, have you been to a Morocco game yet? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've brought them look as well. I did the ESPN show with their shirt and they were, they were loving it. But I saw, I saw the Canada game, I saw the Belgium game, I saw the Spain game. And I wasn't at the Portugal game because it was the same day as at the French game. But yeah, I and I, and also we we need to remind people if if you don't watch on TV, but they are, they're playing at home. That's what it's, I was going to ask. Feels, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, man. I, we thought the same thing. It feels like playing in Morocco, and because they have such a strong community, I think we we mentioned it last time I was on the show. Such so much support here, and also not just from the Moroccans who live here. But I think from all the Arab world, now they, they're obviously rooting for them, which is completely understandable. So if the French will feel like really being in Casablanca or Rabat, and obviously between the two countries, there's so much history, of course. <clears throat> the ties are still so strong politically, economically, socially, emotionally, of course, as well, because there will be some players on the pitch, we mentioned that last time, that have the two passports, could have played for France and, and chose, chose Morocco. There's a lot of people who will have family members in the two countries who were born in one or lived in the other, all that kind of stuff. So it would be a very, very, very special night. And I don't know if that will have an impact on the game. I think those guys are professional players, but certainly around the game and in the build-up of the game, all we're going to talk about is, is the history as well between the two countries. So it would be a yeah, special night. Yeah, I was, I was wondering how much difference it actually makes. I've, I've never been to, to a World Cup or a European Championship, so I've never experienced what, what, what it's like to be like the, the home nation, essentially, which is what Morocco are now. And you do, you do feel if this World Cup wasn't in Qatar, maybe they, they wouldn't have got as far as they have because their support, the way it's coming across on television, it has been immense. Incredible, right? Really, some of the best I've ever seen. Uh, and I think when you get tired, especially the way they play, because it's a very exhausting style of football and, and or like a fighting style of football, then then I think they really help you. And a lot of the players that we saw after the games keep saying like the 12th man, which I know is a bit cliche and everybody uses it. It's not, it's not the, 
the issue here. But a lot is, yeah, I think they, they bring them so much energy, so much love. We, the, the fact that the, the, the Moroccan Federation decided from day one to bring all the families from the players and the manager. I know I've said that story before, but Walid Regragi, the head coach, his mum Fatima, who lived in Paris all her life, never traveled to see him play when he was a professional player, never gone and see him play when he was a head coach. And now she's been here since day one and she's brought him luck. And now you see her at every single game. And I think also having that kind of support for your relatives and your family has helped them massively to like overachieve. This is a huge overachievement for them to be in the semi-final. First ever African team to be there. First ever Arabic team to be there. So it's very special. And I think in, in now all of that counts. The fans, the support in the stadium, the support around you at the hotel, in the game, all of that, uh, your fitness tactics, all of that you have to take in consideration for a semi-final of the World Cup. Julian, how how worried are you about facing Morocco? Is there an argument that you would have actually, in some ways, rather faced Portugal? Maybe I'm, I'm I was more worried before the England game. I have to be honest, because I I really had I, I was really scared of this England team. With Morocco, it's different. Part of me says like maybe they can do it again, and that would really be incredible. But also, if you look at the history of the World Cup, there's, there's a few teams who got there, quarterfinal, semifinal, and then the, the last step was too high because it felt like they played already their final and their semifinal in the round before. And I don't know if psychologically, this Moroccan squad, by the way, that has hardly no turnover, is pretty much always the same 11 or certainly always the same 13 players who play. I don't know if they can go again, but not even go up a notch and go up a step to go and, and then beat us and go to the final. So... But, but I mean, they can they can keep they can stay at nil nil. No one scores against them, so they can stay at nil nil and go to penalty, and then anything is possible. So we will have to see. But I don't feel the same nervosity than I had before the England game. Yeah, but we're trying to keep it tight, Ben, and and, and keep it at nil nil, which I imagine Morocco will, will, will try and do initially. Saez will probably be a doubt. He was basically playing on one leg in in that <laughs> quarterfinal. We, we know him quite well from, from the Premier League, a, a, a steady player rather than spectacular. But for Morocco a huge influence. When he was stretched off, you kind of thought, oh, maybe it's now Portugal's game to win. Morocco did ha- ha- uh, did hold out. It's not just him either, it's um, Aguero as well. Uh, he missed the Portugal game and again, everyone thought, you know, maybe Port- this swings in Portugal favour, but Elvia Mick came in to make the quarterfinal best 11. I mean, they are riding off this momentum that they've garnered through beating, through progressing as group winners, through beating Spain, through beating Portugal. That can only get you so far. I mean, you've lost your two, you know, losing one centre-back, huge blow. Saiz was a doubt for that Portugal game. To lose him again, as as well as Aguirre, would be probably a step too far for Morocco. I mean, it would be great if they did beat France, with all due respect, Julian, because, (laughs) you know, it's a great story. They've been, you know, they've just been captivating to watch them go through, both on and off the pitch. They've been excellent, but... Kind of feel this might be a step too far, especially if they are without their first choice to back pairing. Are you, are you going to both games, Julian? Yeah, I'll be at the semi finals. Yeah, okay. Well, that does us for this week's edition of Edge of the Box. I do wish you all the best, but deep down, come on, Morocco, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> that's, that's what we all want. The, the people champions, Every, everyone wants to see Morocco beat France in the, in the semi final. But I hope you enjoy both games, Julian, in, in all seriousness. Thank you. I do love you very much. Good good luck to France. I love you too. Thank you. I hope you have an an enjoyable day at the semi-final. We'll be back with a show pre-final, so make sure you're watching out for that. Do subscribe with your post notifications on so you know when that is going to come out. Thanks to Ben and Julian for joining me today. And as ever, enjoy all the football and stay safe.